Well, good morning. Welcome back. Uh, with me today is Professor Molly Gross um, from the uh, Division of Humanities and Fine Arts. Uh, Professor Gross, thank, thanks so much for, for being here today. I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, let's get started. Uh, tell everybody who you are, what you teach, your background, anything of, of note, anything that, that you'd like us to know about yourself. Okay. Um, well, I have, um, I'll start with professional stuff, I guess. Um, I have a few hats here, as you know. Um, I teach English. So I'm full-time faculty in the English department, um, and I usually teach uh, writing workshop for freshmen, one and two. Um, and I also work in the Student Success Center, uh, where I hire and supervise our tutors and our supplemental instructors and our peer writing fellows, um, which is a program through the QEP, our Quality Enhancement Plan. So I'm also co-director of that. Um, and uh, I also help my husband out a lot with his sets, which is not an official hat, but I enjoy doing that and working on the set right now for Sweeney Todd. So and who is that person? Who's your husband? Uh, Nate Gross is my husband here, Professor Nate Gross. He's the director of the theater program and, um, you know, always has a big spring musical every year. And it's it's really fun to to help him with that, help him with the set. Mm -hmm. And how's that set design coming? It's, it's good. It's, yeah. uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, he, he designed it and envisioned it. And then I, I guess I sort of make it happen. I'm the scenic artist is the term. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, Christine, Dr. Christina Starkey has been coming in to help me paint a little bit, which is nice because I'm often working on the sets um, by my lonesome and with mm -hmm. a few students. So uh, that's been great to have her help. It's a very, very dark set you know mm. it's old victorian london and um it's very kind of dark and spooky mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is fun so the stage dimensions in in our uh your activity center are are interesting and uh, so how's that compared to the stages you, you've had to work with and work on in the past i mean it's a little more limiting maybe or it is um yeah that's a really good point it's there's not really a backstage yeah so um it and some productions wouldn't you know some don't necessarily need one you can be create you know artists have to be very creative obviously but um we've created a backstage mm. when we've been in there we kind of created one for guys and dolls to an extent and we've created one for this so the actors have this little narrow walkway there where they can creep behind okay. the set and um and under the set yeah so, yeah, it's been a challenge. It is interesting. And, you know, so I think most theater, most university theaters that I've been, you know, um, not a participant in, but but on campuses where I've worked and, and been, it's really the, the stage is, uh, you know, sort of the tip of the iceberg, right? The, everything else is in the back of the house. Mm -hmm. um, so the you know, paint shop and the, the band saws and, and everything else. Mm -hmm. And it's just you're mm -hmm. seeing and it's made for wheeling things out you know really you know extraordinarily high ceilings and so you can mm -hmm. you know, drop For the fly space mm -hmm. fly space right yeah drop things back so it's mm -hmm. it's a creative challenge mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. your on your part yeah in fact um nate and i were talking about that the other day that we've worked in a lot of different theaters now together yeah. um and they've none of them have been ideal <laughs> they all have kind of different pieces of things but it's it's always a fun challenge to figure out how to mm. make it work um for the actors and for the set so um you know it's been it's been fun here and your, your vision for the production is really has to be calibrated based on that production space correct yes yeah and you know like i said he, he he's usually the one designing the the shape of it the const you know how it's mm. going to be constructed and 
um, based on those challenges, based on trying to tell the story and what what kind of set would best tell the story for that audience. Mm. Um, and then, you know, often he has a, sort of a vague idea of different colors and things like that. But I often, um, you know, kind of create the, the aesthetics that come later um, mm-hmm. and the paint. So I don't have as much of a challenge as he does to try to figure out how to work it in the space. Um, like for Guys and Dolls, we had this big kind of thrust come out into the audience because mm. there was a lot of dancing that mm. he wanted to be more immersed in the audience and then mm-hmm. um and then my mm-hmm. challenge for me was how to make it look good so then I was like Ugh. it was this big ugly thing so then I dressed it with cloth mm. and that's kind of an example how we tend to work together well mm. so uh and, and tell us all about your relationship to the theater in in terms of your English background so playwriting other things that you've done in that vein yeah yeah it's been kind of an, a f- weird avenue getting here um so I my bachelor's degree was um, Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting and directing, and that's how Nate and I met. And um, I really thought I was going to be an actor. That's what I wanted to do. Um, the program at University of Arizona was very small, very um, – you had to audition to get in with a monologue. Um, there was a probationary year. What was your monologue? Oh, uh, it was mm, – it was a monologue from a play called Seascape with Sharks and Dancer by Don Nigro. Hmm. I forgotten about that i hadn't thought about that um in a do you long want to perform time. it now no okay. no thanks okay. i'll turn to respectfully decline um but but yeah it was a really intensive program and it was a classical program it's mostly shakespeare and Chekhov, mm. things like that um and uh that's really what i thought i was going to do um it was in arizona of course so i planned to go out to california and and make it mm-hmm. you know um and, but I, I mean, I always loved reading and writing, and I always took a lot of extra, you know, literature classes and poetry classes where I could, mm-hmm. um, but it, it felt like more of a hobby. Mm. Um, and then when Nate and I got together, and he was going to go out and do that too in California, it just made sense for us both to go out there. I never went on a single audition, <laughs> never, never even tried. And we started a theater company, and um, the more I kept working with theater, the more I just kept getting pulled to the background, you know, parts of it mm-hmm. and the writing parts of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so the most logical thing was a an MFA in playwriting at mm-hmm. that, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot in between there. But mm-hmm. that's when I was like, this is it. I, I just, I love it. I love playwriting. And then, of course, you know, it's, <laughs> there's not a whole, it's much easier to get a full-time job if you have some English, you know, at, Anybody who's who's in writing um, and creative writing probably, you know, English is a lo- often a logical supplement for a more steady paycheck. So that's how mm-hmm. that went. But mm-hmm. but I love teaching any writing. I, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed teaching, you know, freshman composition. So mm-hmm. that's um, that was sort of once I got into doing that uh, at our previous institution in Georgia, I realized I needed a second master's just in English. And I really loved that program. And I think all the time about maybe going and getting a PhD, but uh, the creative side just keeps tugging, so I probably won't do that. Sure, well, MFAs are pretty rigorous, and then and, and, uh, throwing another master's on top of that. Um, the, you know, what I'm, what I'm really interested in and in maybe kind of pursuing with you today is that idea of narrative. 
mm. and especially as in the, the sort of theatrical space and playwriting mm. and, and creating a narrative mm-hmm. uh, and how that bleeds over naturally, I think, to not just other disciplines, but also kind of vocational preparation mm-hmm. and working with students on what is, you know, what is storytelling, the art of storytelling and mm-hmm. how that works in, in any environment. And, and so I guess to begin, you know, how do you create that space to talk about kind of the the story, the arc of a story and how to tell the story. What are those elements that are, are, are useful for, for students who are just sort of getting involved in the storytelling process to think about? Hmm. Um, gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I'm very passionate about storytelling. I get very excited talking about any kinds of writing and telling a story, even with a research paper, you're, there is an element of telling a story to an audience about what your stance is. Mm-hmm. Here is how I acquired my stance. Here is how I'm going to argue my stance. Here are stories from other, you know, pieces of research and things that people have done. So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of um, there are a lot of inter- interesting interesting intersections between um, writing in academia to me and and just telling a story in those more fictional elements. And, um, and I do talk with my students about that. Um, and I think, I think the most interesting, well, probably the most important thing to remember that I think about with storytelling is that I think it's what most um, separates us from other species. Mm. I think that humans are the ones that tell stories and we have a need to tell our stories. Um, and to communicate our stories with others. Um, And so I think when you can bring storytelling into uh, the classroom in some way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. I think it can pull people together. I think it can um, make an assignment more interesting Mm -hmm. if there's some form of narrative going on. so, yeah, I mean, you know, for some examples, um, I, I really believe that, um, you know, bringing in some anecdote, personal anecdotes into an introduction of a paper can help students, you know, dive into the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of journaling mm-hmm. um, in class, even if we never talk about the journals and never, you know, use what, what they're writing about. I think sometimes them coming into class and sitting down and telling some sort of story or writing about what's on their mind and sharing to this page, to this invisible audience, what they're thinking and some, something that's happening with them. It almost just, I feel like it opens them up mm. and it gets mm-hmm. them, you know, because it's easier to do because mm-hmm. it's something that we humans do. Right. It kind of, you know, I tell them it works that writing muscle and it gets them energized, and then it's easier to transfer into writing about something else. Mm-hmm. Well, writing is thinking. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're getting your thoughts out, and you're constructing things, and mm-hmm. it's, there's something very, very natural to the, you know, to the human condition that makes us recognize storytelling, to, yeah. to your point, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the, the earlier that's, that, that we understand that in our educational kind of paths, whatever paths we take, um, that you know, to, to think clearly and logically and thoroughly means to write. It mm-hmm. has to mean to write. And the attachment that, that students have, um, at least, you know, throughout maybe their 
uh, secondary, you know, educational experience to writing, you know, is, is generally speaking, you know, fairly negative in my experience. And then, so, you know, that process, what does it mean to, you know, to, to write things for, uh, you know, that are interesting. It's not something that occurs mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a student, how to create an, an interesting narrative. And I would suggest a lot of academics really, you know, have, have a t- hard time kind of gearing their writing towards more of a general audience. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're writing for, you know, a, a discrete group of people and you're trying to get across your, your, your messages and understanding of context. And, um, but that is something that I think, um, you know, we could all benefit from is more training and, and writing and, and, uh, you know, we put together a writing group here on campus, that, mm-hmm. you know, um, for those, some, those same reasons, I think that the process of improvement never, never ends in life no. and de- certainly never ends in writing. No, too, no. Well. And any facet of literacy is just, yeah. you know, something that's an ongoing journey. You just keep getting better at it. Right. Well, it's, and you know, that, that kind of critical distance from your own writing is something that, you know, is, is hard. You, you know, you just sort of write for an audience of one a lot of times and you need other people. Well, I'm trying this. And that, that idea, that spirit of, ex, uh, experimentation in Mm -hmm. writing is Mm -hmm. something that you really can't, um, I think fully lean into Mm -hmm. outside of an, you know, an audience and and people that can receive your writing. Well, this is what I was going for. Did I get that idea across? I'm trying something there that, that the willingness to kind of dare in your writing. Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. That's kind of been a neat part of my job so far, um, working in the student success center because I've been able to kind of, you know, handpick a lot of the writing tutors or, Mm -hmm. uh, at least spend time, you know, working with them a lot. And, you know, I know, I know who they are and how they write. So I can really encourage my students to go and utilize them. And I tell them, you know, I'm not having you go to to a writing tutor because they're going to polish your paper at the end, you know, look at it at any stage of the writing process, take feedback from them, have them, you know, tell them who your intended audience is, Mm -hmm. um, work on it, get feedback. And they might say something to you in a way that clicks more with you than, than my feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be useful yeah. to talk with them. And then you should be taking things that they say and maybe some things I say, right. maybe talk it out with your roommate, take some things they say, sure. and it just keeps building and evolving. Yeah. So, and that, and that's a hard, that, that's, I think maybe one for my, tell me if you resonate with this, but the, the most challenging part of writing is, is that idea that it is a process, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. doesn't begin and end from, it doesn't begin at four o'clock and end at six o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing you know, it's, it's, it's a work of art, honestly. It's chiseling something out of granite. I mean, yeah. and it's, a, it's a recursive process. You're mm-hmm. constantly going back to it. You're getting feedback. You're improving your style as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have to work on getting better at writing every day. And, mm-hmm. and certainly writing more mm-hmm. is, is a great assistance to that. But mm-hmm. what, are, what are some other ways that you've seen that are beneficial to improving student writing? Um, um, I think, you know, something I... I try to encourage in my class and, um, you know, with students that I talk to in the writing center is to, to talk about their writing, mm. you know, to look at their writing even after the fact in different stages. You know, I, um, I really find the conference, the one-on-one conference to be one of the most useful things that I do in mm. my teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have three conferences this semester, conference periods. Um, and I don't know how many times I've had students come to the conference and admit, you know, I don't really know what we're writing about. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, 
um, I wrote the last paper in two hours. I didn't do so well. You know, mm-hmm. what are, you know, and that that dialogue of just talking about the process mm-hmm. and about their ideas and mm-hmm. having them articulate mm-hmm. what it is they're trying to communicate mm-hmm. on the page. Mm-hmm. That dialogue um, often leads to some aha moments that that kind of charges the writing a little bit, charges it up. Um, so I've noticed that really helps just to talk about it. And I, I have my students write reflections after each one too. Mm. And I make them do, you know, which I don't know if they like it or not, but they have to write a page explaining what that writing process was like. And it's really interesting to read those because I think a lot of students, they want to, they finish it, they want to turn it in and we're done, we're moving on. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, we're not done with this essay yet. Right. We're going to sit down and we're going to reflect on how it went. Right. And um, they have specific things that they have to consider and answer and talk about on the page more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think those conversations really help. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a very personal process, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. the improvement it's painful. Yeah. yeah, it is, and you have to be willing to to take criticism. And yeah, because it is it is so natural to your you know, how you articulate your thoughts and how you craft that story, whatever that story is, for whatever purposes. I mean, uh-huh. it is. It is so internal, so there is a tendency of, for students and for 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 people that are you know uh, uh, you know uh, uh, finished with school to 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 be sensitive yeah. to writing. It's just it's hard. It's part of the peer review process, but the the more you know that you're willing to give yourself over to that process, the better that you get. And uh, yeah, it is, and it, it, I have to try to remember that when I'm giving feedback. It's mm-hmm. it takes me a long time to give feedback. It takes mm-hmm. me like about half an hour yeah. per paper. Oh, sure. And my, you know, Nate is constantly telling me to, to try to trim that down. My mom was an English teacher for years. She's always telling me I'm taking it. But um, to remember to be sensitive and how to how to critically tell someone to fix something without making them feel like it's bad. Right. It, it takes a lot of critical thinking to do that. So I, um, this time of year, I feel like I'm always complaining about grading because <laughs> the midterms, I just got my grades in yesterday. And um, it just... It, it uh, it's mentally, it's very rewarding and a little exhausting yeah. and, um, but it feels so good to get it done, to know that the students are now digesting, hopefully, and thinking about things more. Um, you know, I tell them half my instructions in the feedback, so I hope yeah. you read it. Yeah. Right. Um, well, those conferences, right. Yeah. Such an essential part of what you do. And, you know, there's only so much that can be communicated and, and digested and un- understood through comments. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it speaks to the kind of limits of scale mm-hmm. and why a college like, you know, Kentucky Wesleyan is so important mm-hmm. because our, you know, that small class size, I, you know, the, the direct benefit, obviously the research writing is, I think, paramount. Uh, yeah. uh, and and the, the, the clearest distillation of why this experience is, is so different and so special is because mm-hmm. you're able to sit across from mm-hmm. a professor and work on your craft of writing. Yeah. And outside of that to try to improve otherwise. Yeah. Know, yeah. It's a difficult it is. process. Um, I also strive to not be the higher professor that's, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm the, you know, been sent by the writing gods to tell you what you do, what you do with your paper. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I try to let them know that what I say might not resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to tell them about my writing experiences too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've, I've been very honored to write a couple of pieces for Kathy Retherman for the, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Kentucky Wesleyan magazine. I just finished one recently and sent it off. And I tell my students, I experience a lot of the same things, you know, I had to revise it six times sure. and 
I sent it and now I'm very nervous about hearing that, you know, what I need to do. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's been, it's been really fun to be reminded of, you know, um, of what it's like to go through that process. Well, and it's interesting as you think about standards of mm-hmm. writing, right? Personal standards and everyone has a, a, a sort of mark and, mm-hmm. you know, what I've always, and I'm, I'm, never been an English teacher, but what, what I've tried to do in, in history classes and in, in, in writing is just kind of extend or expand those, the definition of what's, what's good and what's, you know, what's good enough, mm-hmm. right? And, and really to, to push students beyond their capabilities mm-hmm. and to start to elevate to, to new standards. And, mm-hmm. and, and what point is something, you know, worthy of being turned in mm-hmm. as a final draft? Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, and that's an ongoing, you know, to where you're satisfied with it, where this is a product of yourself. What are your personal standards yeah. outside of a grade, outside of anything, you know, an, mm-hmm. an assessment, but what is, what is the, you know, a good, a working product here. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about the development of a voice and, you know, how you can, you know, how you equip students to kind of develop their own voice. Drunk and White obviously talks about, a, a, you know, economy and sort of paring things down to a point, but you know, it's a, it is a process. So, you know, in developing an authentic sort of writing style that's unique to the students. Oh, um, you know, it's funny, not long ago, um, one of, one of the writing pages that I like on Facebook, someone posted about voice and there were just hundreds of comments of people debating and deliberating what voice even is. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's interesting you bring that up, but, um, to be quite honest, I feel like there are there are only a few things that I say about voice and tone at the level that I'm teaching at right now. Um, And I imagine that as students are writing uh, as juniors and seniors, it may come into play a little bit more. I feel like I would, I feel like there are so many other, um, uh, you know, irons in the fire for me at my level of, um, but what I do, what I do hope they learn from my class, what I do try to instill is that because the audience really changes depending on the discipline that you're writing in and the topic that you have and the purpose that you have, Mm -hmm. then your tone and your voice need to really change to suit that audience. So if nothing else, you know, and and I probably talk about it even more in 102 rather than 100, but if nothing else, we talk about, um, you know, informal versus formal and how their choice, you know, their, their word choice, their diction and their vocabulary and the, the um, pronouns that they use. And a lot of, you know, a lot of words that they use, they can be carefully chosen to convey a certain, a certain voice mm-hmm. that will be most adhered to mm-hmm. or get the attention more of their intended audience. Mm-hmm. But we don't go too much further than that. And there are some there are some pieces of that that can be taught in a very um, technical sense. For instance, um, in the humanities, and you may know this, but in the humanities, uh, from the guidelines from the you know Modern Language Association, um, when you introduce a source and refer to a text, you use present tense verbs. Mm-hmm. And when you're writing in the social sciences, you don't. You refer to the tense to the text in past tense verbs. And so, and there's a different voice that comes with both of those because in the humanities, we speak, you know, actively, we use active voice too, which, uh, you know, 
um, has to do with your syntax. And then we refer to the text as if it's still happening. It's still alive. Mm. Um, and when you do that, you treat the author like what they've said is kind of this eternal thing that we're still looking at. It's still pertinent. Mm. Um, my theory, my personal theory behind that is sort of, you know, in the, in the humanities and fine arts, the, the words are eternal once they go down on the page. I mean, we, when we talk about Shakespeare, you know, and we often say things like, oh, you know, look, look what he does here in, in this line. And mm -hmm. l listen to this part what, when Romeo talks to mm -hmm. Juliet. We, mm -hmm. we often talk about Shakespeare without even realizing a lot of us do um, in present tense. And so it, it changes their style when they realize they have to do it that way. Mm. And, and um, where students who are writing a lot of lab reports in chemistry and biology, they have to write in passive voice. They have to take themselves completely out of the paper. They cannot use first person. Mm -hmm. And the passive voice will come out, you know, when three drops were added to the beaker. Right. And so that's been really fun and interesting to, to make them aware of in my class because mm -hmm. I'm like, you can't, you can't write the same way for me that you do in biology. Sure. And, right. and your style is going to change. You can put yourself into the paper here. Mm -hmm. I let them use first person sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, I let them tell their stories right. in the intro. So, right. anyway. well, it just makes more, you know, compelling writing when they're part of the, the an active part of the process. Right. But, yeah. So could you say something about, you know, writing, uh, so comedic writing? you know, how to interject humor in, in your writing. I think that's a lot of, you know, what, even if it's incidental, you know, sardonic, whatever, just, uh, uh, but it adds flavor and character. And I've seen some, some really excellent works in, in my own field that will just sort of pepper humor, you know, throughout, not laugh out loud, but mm -hmm. sort of like Doonesbury, sort of like, okay. mm, uh -huh. uh, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of debate about whether or not humor belongs in, in academic work. Um, so uh, I, I, don't, um, I don't know if I really talk about that with my students much. I know in my own writing, I mean, I, I love to write comedic, you know, scenes and plays. There's a lot of humor in my own, in my own writing, my creative writing. Um, I did, <laughs> did kind of have fun with one of those articles in the Wesleyan Way where... Um, I was interviewing Sasha Leah Ramirez mm. about um, some of her work, and she's a zoology student. And so I, I was really amused by using a lot of animal puns. And to the, I don't, I don't know if anyone ever noticed this or if anyone even read the article, but I was just like, <laughs> you know, the whole time <laughs> writing it, like I just kept putting in these stupid like animal puns, right. anything that had to do with like, you know, let, I guess she let the cat out of the bag. Like right. it was just, it was so stupid, but. Um, <laughs> But I really found it funny, and um, and yeah. So it, you you don't always know what how the audience is going to take when you put it out in the universe. Well, you don't know and that, how it's and that I think that's one of the most difficult parts. And obviously, there's you know uh, you know a, a stark difference between someone's on stage and performing you know a, a comedy sort of you know routine or dialogue or whatever, um, and then they get to work on that material with different audiences and see mm -hmm. what's what's funny right. what's corny whatever right. when you write it's just there yeah you're just kind of in going into the void you can't like, market test yeah it. yeah you're right you're right and unless, unless you get feedback and i you know kathy's been great i don't often get a, a ton of feedback from her um she often just fixes my uh, ap style and <laughs> she then, hates commas she, yeah no i I, <laughs> I i mean i think she might I, I don't know if she even noticed that or not but um yeah 
but yeah, it's, I, I think that there's definitely a place for a lot of humor in, in any kind of media, you sure. know, and I think, I think puns and plays on words are, are pretty much appropriate, you know, in mm. a lot of different ways. Um, mm. And I, and I, again, because I allow my students to, to use some creative openings and mm. creative hooks in their writing, some, sometimes they are really funny, you know, yeah. if, if they're, if their opening is funny, you know, I, I think it's great. Well, and, and so my, my only impression of, of, you know, either comedic writing or just interesting writing in general is that it's, it's organic to the, to the person and to, mm -hmm. to the moment and the, some of the, you know, uh, you know, I'm a fan of, you know, uh, science fiction, historical fiction, but, you know, um, and, uh, and also really good, just good, solid history. And, uh, you know, you can, you can see people's the lived experience through their writing in a mm -hmm. lot of cases. And, and there's a, one of my favorite sort of, uh, historical, uh, fiction authors is, uh, Michael Curtis Ford. And, hmm. you know, has talked pretty extensively on his blog about, um, uh, you know, what his writing process is and, and, you know, the, the years that he's had to spend just, just living, just, you know, occupying various positions, different mm -hmm. jobs, traveling. Mm -hmm. And, and you can see that obviously in his writing, mm -hmm. you know, as he's talking about, you know, Attila the Hun and kind of seated around a campfire and that came from a, you know, a time when he was, you know, working at a gas station or something, right? Just kind of sitting around, but it's really interesting in weaving those experiences in, but it's also a good lesson about, you know, before you can really be a, a compelling, thoughtful, interesting author, you have to go out and, and lead a pretty compelling, interesting, thoughtful life. Yeah. And that's your writing kind of reflects everything in your past and you're bringing it out. And it's, you know, it's, it's something to think about and, and recognize. And, you know, as you're, you know, I've always told students that, that have, that aspire to, to be, you know, great writers that, you know, just, you have to live life and experience things and mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. you can expect to just kind of generate those ideas come from somewhere. Right. Right. So. It was like that with acting too, mm. you know, mm. there was a lot of, um, lived experience that I wish I had had back when I was doing a lot more acting that, probably would have helped you know mm -hmm. me connect to to um more characters but but yeah i am interested in your experience with playwriting and the, the all these ideas that we've talked about especially voice and you know your experiences um and how they sort of bleed through um because you're you're writing you know you're writing a story you're telling a story that that's meant to be sort of acted out mm -hmm. which is a different association mm -hmm. to writing and yeah. the, the stagecraft of it built mm -hmm. into it mm -hmm. so you know how is the process different how is it altered with um you know developing a a, a play or you know any sort of writing intended for theatrical performance yeah um it's it's uh hard to to summarize what that is but it you're right it's definitely very different um, when I started writing really heavily, you know, it was mostly in plays. And so, um, you know, I had dabbled in a few things, but it's not like I was, you know, writing a lot of short stories or pieces of novels before I started my playwriting program, although it was a cross-disciplinary program. So we, we needed to dabble in a lot of different creative writing areas, but with playwriting, it just, it, um, it made more sense to me to tell a story in dialogue. It it just it feels more natural for me to tell a story that way. And mm. maybe because um, I feel like a lot of life happens through dialogues. 
and conversations. And, you know, what we say to each other, what we hear from others in our lives, um, it's memorable. Or the feelings that are generated from those dialogues are memorable. You know, I mean, we, mm. we still, our, our society has a lot of, you know, quotes from many famous things that have remained memorable. And so there's just something so natural to me about, about the story unfolding in that way. And I don't want this to sound like I'm a crazy person, but I kind of hear the characters. Like when I want, when I want to tell a story, I just sort of hear people talking, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, but there is an element of, you know, what, what would the audience need to see? What part would they need to see of this story and hear? And, and what parts would they not need to see that could be summarized or alluded to? And of course, you know, you want to put the most exciting, interesting moments on the stage um, of that story. And so you, you don't want to have, you know, people talking about planning the murder and then have, you know, a blackout and then have them come back on and be like, well, that was a good murder. But that was Macbeth. Yay. Right. Um, but you you want to have it. Um, you want you want to have a lot of the important parts on stage. So then right. so that there is there is a little bit of um, editing. And, and that's that's not really I shouldn't really say that my, my playwriting cohorts would be shaming me because we the playwright is not supposed to be so heavily manipulating hmm. the story. You know, we're supposed to, you know, let the characters live and help things evolve hmm. and in, in a way. But um, I don't even know if I answered that. No, question. no, that's a that's a solid explanation of just kind of what you listen to. I, I agree. Those dialogues are, you know, just a, kind of an essential part of life. Right. I mean, yeah. I think we remember great conversations we've had, but not necessarily great thoughts, you know, when you're sitting alone. And I, I mean, I think those are those <laughs> I value alone time and I, I value sort of great, you know, thinking. But I mean, the dynamism in a mm -hmm. conversation and yeah. how just natural that is to the humanity. Yeah. Right? And, and yet we have a lot of really famous plays out there that have been on Broadway that are one person, you know, one person shows wit and, you know. Sure. But. Would you say that, and I thought about that as mm -hmm, you were talking, mm -hmm. not to interrupt you, but, but would you say that those are more dialogues with an audience of one person? Sometimes. Um, we saw a play recently uh, that TWO produced that was wonderful, and I can't remember the title at the moment, but there, it was mostly a dialogue between that actor and the audience members. Mm -hmm. And there were even lines that the audience was given to, to say, mm. to, be, to be engaged with the dialogue with her. Mm -hmm. So that was that playwright's approach. Um, it, mm. it forced that communication where, you know, wit and a lot of other shows that i've seen it's written so that the actor is creating the dialogue mm. so there's still dialogue yeah um and there's still that exchange but um but yeah it just it, it kind of unfolds naturally to me in that way i think i think one of the trickiest parts is managing stage direction mm. and keeping things active um you know stage direction is can be completely thrown out so if you want to write what you picture, um, you know, if I, if I imagine a certain scene on stage, um, if I write it in stage direction, the, the theater can throw that out. The director can throw that out. Mm. They don't have to use it. They mm. only have to produce what's in dialogue. Mm. So then I, th I think one of the really fun creative challenges that I love about playwriting is figuring out how to work 
the elements of that scene of what you picture into the dialogue so that they can't throw it out mm -hmm. right yeah yeah, yeah it doesn't make right if you have this really intense exchange and they're around well, the director comes in so well, I, I want you facing in opposite directions yes someone staring pensively outside the window right the, so really you make one character say look at me yes right okay. you know yeah. I mean and that that's a really fun creative challenge is trying to figure out a way to to tell the story that you want um and uh yeah, I, and really I, I I have to say I am fascinated with that that process you know the 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 relationship between you know the the script um the and and the actual production mm -hmm. and uh, the changes. And we talked about, you know, kind of peer review with writing, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, getting feedback and incorporating that. And in a lot of cases, could you say something about the, the kind of the relationship that the actors have with the script and, and modifying and, and playing with that? And, you know, obviously this came out you know, several years ago now, but the cast of Hamilton mm -hmm. wanted the stake and Mm -hmm. um, and the profits because I think they, they felt like they had a, a real investment in creating the end product. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, one of my first uh, times witnessing that process was when I was in the BFA program at U of A and we had a relationship with the um, uh, a local regional theater company in town um, that had, you know, it was a, it was a um, an equity house and so there were a lot of professional actors that came through and professional playwrights and things like that. And... Um, I got to be an understudy and be there for the readings mm. because plays are always revised through live readings, you know, around a table and whatnot. So every night before rehearsal, the playwright would bring in new pages, different colors every night. So then the script, you know, was this like, and the actors in the cast would get to sit around and read the scene. And the, the playwright was there scribbling and changing things mm. based on how the actors were, were using the words. Mm. And, um, and that, that's really how revision has to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and anytime, you know, I'm working and revising a play, I have to get actors together or, or, or people that can read. Right. Because there's no way that, that I can expect other people to have it pan out in my head the way that I hear it. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really exciting collaborative, you know, Art form. But I can imagine it has to be collaborative. You can't have oh, the yeah. playwright sort of, nope. Yeah. This is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it, and you've got to have, you know, someone there who has some directing experience and tech experience mm -hmm. in the room because they could be mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's not stageable. Sure. You know, or we, we can't have 50 people in this play. We're never going to, you know, right. there's all these, uh, there's so many elements to consider. And that's why, you know, I think a lot of people that are involved in theater, they end up getting involved in, in all of it at some point. Right. Because it is just too much fun sure. to figure out yeah, how stage to, design and lighting and sound. All of and, it. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I've I've acted, I've been leads, I've welded, <laughs> I've, you know, built things. I, I mean, I just built a meat grinder. Like I've never right. had to do that before. Sure, um yeah. it's always new, it's always different. I love to write and it all informs everything else. Right. I, I don't think necessarily that I could write plays right. as well without having done something, you know, in every piece. What is such a unique experience for students, especially to be part of those collaborative exchanges, mm -hmm. right? To really mm -hmm. understand, I mean, real time what it is to work with other people mm -hmm. on projects that matter in real time. Yeah. I've been part of many group editing sessions and they're not a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> But, you know, I can imagine it's a different dynamic and it's more of kind of an exchange of creative ideas and, you know, there's... Yeah, I mean, I've seen playwrights get angry. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, I don't think we're all, you know, we all have our moments of, um, of being vulnerable mm -hmm. and being able to take criticism mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, 
it's very hard to to kill your dar kill your darlings kill your babies sure. whatever um but uh but yeah, I think I think it's great for the students to get involved. And uh, you know, I've often invited my class. You know, I often come to class to teach, and I've got pain on my hands, and I'm like, who wants to come? You know, help. And uh, I've had students come and help me out. It's I think it's it's really a fun collaboration always. Right. Right. Well, I've enjoyed our collaboration. I've enjoyed uh, our discussion. Thanks so much for joining me, Professor Molly Gross, and thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you next. Time.